well, I mean, let's, let's define normal and call it what it was, which was a decade of declining enrollment, questions of value and relevance, rising costs, increased competition, changing demographics, an enrollment cliff on the horizon. So clearly the way things were wasn't a good fit for the My students job. that could be. <laughs> Right. And and I, I think, you know, David, when you talked about being, you know, uh, being responsive to students' needs, having them drive, like, we have to be more customer focused. And the future of higher ed is only going to be increasingly virtual for two reasons. One, students want hyper-personalized content. They want mm -hmm. touch of a button convenience. And institutions of higher ed need a new model for increasing revenue and driving down costs. And so we have to be thinking about how can we make technology a better, more leveraged component to strengthen our existing efforts. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we are discussing virtual student engagement. Many of us were forced by COVID to pivot to virtual engagement strategies. What have we learned? What virtual engagement strategies should, should serve us beyond COVID? And what have we learned to help make our virtual engagement even better? Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find, it at student, find us at studentaffairsnow.com or on Twitter. Our first sponsor today is Leadershape. Leadershape is a not-for-profit organization that has been partnering with colleges, universities, and organizations in creating transformational leadership experiences since 1986. With a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world, Leadershape provides both virtual and in-person leadership development opportunities for students and professionals. When you partner with Leadershape, you will receive quality developmental experiences that engage learners in topics of courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find more about their virtual programs, please visit leadershape.org slash virtual programs. You can also learn more about them through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Today's episode is also sponsored by Anthology. Is your goal to engage in effective assessment, boost data fluency, and empower staff with strategic data collection, documented analysis, and use of results for change? No matter where your campus is in the assessment journey, Anthology, formerly Campus Labs, can help you figure out what's next with a short assessment. You'll receive customized results and tailored recommendations to address your most immediate assessment needs. Learn more about how Anthology's products and expert consultation can empower your division with actionable data by visiting campuslabs.com sa-now. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. And you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm hosting this conversation today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is the ancestral home of the Dakota and Ojibwe peoples. Today, we're looking at what we've learned about virtual engagement to benefit us all in the future. We have three terrific guests. Thank you all three so much for joining us today. I really appreciate oh. it. And I uh, would love to have each of you introduce yourselves, share with us your name, your role, institution, pronouns, and a bit about how you've gone about doing virtual engagement. Uh, David Hibbler, Dr. David Hibbler, let's start yeah. off with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so hello everyone, my name is uh, David Hibbler Jr. I use he, him, he, him, his pronouns. 
And I have the fortunate opportunity of serving as the Associate Director of Residential Education at the University of South Florida Tampa campus. Um, and in my role, I oversee the day-to-day -day operations of our campus population uh, with specific focus on our residential curriculum, behavioral intervention, and crisis management. Um, so really, you know, within my role, I see it, you know, as keeping us on time, on task, and on vision. And when I think about the strategic emphasis of our residential curriculum and how that aligns with our university's larger student success initiatives, um, you know, it is my responsibility to ensure that we are, you know, remaining, remaining laser focused on success strategies that are, you know, um, enhancing persistence and, and making sure folks are getting, you know, throughout um, their time here at USF and specifically while they're in residence with us. Um, and specifically with virtual engagement, knowing that the residential curriculum is everything that we do, um, when we were faced with the pandemic, um, the virtual engagement became the thing that we had to do, right? So we had to literally re-envision um, everything that we did from, you know, day-to-day um, -day intentional conversations to large-scale, you know, departmental initiatives that we knew we still needed to execute to um, really um, uh, make sure that we were living up to our educational priority uh, here at USF. So that's a little bit about me and my role um, specifically with, um, with virtual engagement so far. Thanks, David. I really appreciate uh, you being here and sharing us what you and the team at USF have learned. I, I, you're, you're coming back to something I think will be important, but keeping the focus on the learning, but shifting the strategies and how we go about doing that. That's really great. Alyssa, tell us a little bit about you and how you've been in working with virtually engaging students. Absolutely. It's nice to be here with you all today. My name is Alyssa. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am the assistant director of new student programs at North Dakota State University. Go Bison. Uh, I spend a lot of my time working with Welcome Week and then helping with the um, implementation and execution of orientation and our, and our summer programming to really help students transition well um, to NDSU. I've also spent a lot of time recently on a cross-divisional um, committee that is working on curriculum, so super similar to David. How do we all work together to have the same learning outcomes so that students can achieve success because they're getting the same thing over and over from all of us in a very consistent um, educational experience. So that's been taking a lot of time and has been really exciting lately also within my role. Uh, the, that also stems to my connection to the content. I think when we had to pivot, it was March, a lot of decisions had already been made for orientation for sure and, and definitely welcome week. And so as much as pivot is not everyone's favorite word right now anymore, that's what we had to do. And our learning outcomes in our curriculum really were the cornerstone in us being able to do that pretty effectively. We knew at the end of the day that students still needed the same learning outcomes and the same things from us. We just really had to switch up how we were doing that, but the learning, the learning couldn't change. We still knew what students needed to be successful. And so that's really what brings me here today is to share a little bit about how we did that. Awesome. And, and as many orientation folks, you all had to shift, particularly for those with summer programs, right away, knowing that this was not going to be able to be happening in person. So how do we do this and doing hybrid models? Well, mm -hmm. others maybe hope by the fall things would be back to in-person um, and, and delayed. So you've been learning right along. Uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about you and the work you do at Everfi. 
Sure thing. Hi, everyone. Keith, David, Alyssa, it's great to join you here. My name is Rob Bulow. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm the Senior Vice President of Higher Education and Impact at EverFi. And for those not familiar, EverFi is a social impact technology company that takes on some of the biggest social challenges facing campuses, companies, and communities. So we work with about 25,000 K-12 schools across the country in Canada, 1,200 colleges and universities, and 1,500 corporations globally. And we've been providing online education and training for campuses for over 20 years with multiple rigorous peer-reviewed studies on our work. And so lots that we've learned in that time about virtual engagement. And also note, I'm a public health professional by training. And a lot of our work at EverFi is focused on safety, well-being, and inclusion, which I'm sure are hot topics that are going to come up a lot in our conversation today. Yeah. Well, Rob, let's let's stay there with you. I think um, many of us have been doing this for almost a year now. You've been doing it with EverFi for 20 years. And would love to hear what you have learned along the way about what works and what doesn't work. I think we've talked about what are these universal uh, lessons that people can apply uh, beyond the modules and the things that you're offering. But I, I think you've learned a lot that we can apply in some of the other work that we're doing. Sure, Keith. Well, you know, I start with just thinking about a 20-year timeline, and that you know, puts me back to when I was in college. And so I think about the previous work that I had done as a student leader at Penn State University. Um, you know, we had tens of thousands of undergraduate students, and so I worked on men's sexual assault prevention programming there. And it's hard. It's hard to reach everyone. There's no way I was going to get my voice in front of all students on campus. So there was this sort of scalability challenge. But even at UC Irvine, where I was leading orientation programs, where presumably every incoming student and their parents were participating in these programs, we reached everyone, but were we collecting data? And Mm -hmm. often evaluation was a smile, maybe a laugh at a joke I told, a head nod, or maybe that person sitting in the back of the classroom with their arms crossed that maybe leaned forward at one point seemed a little more engaged. And so I think about sort of data and evaluation and assessment. And then lastly, when you have those sort of big group in-person spaces, how are you ensuring that you're having a really sort of targeted, tailored, personalized experience for everyone in that space? And so as I talk through scalability, data, design, those are some of the ways that we at EverFi think about the key components of a comprehensive digital prevention and compliance training strategy. And so going a little bit deeper in design, you know, one thing that's just universal with in-person or virtual programs is involving your target audiences in the development of those programs. And that remains true in the virtual environment. In fact, probably even more so because you want to make sure you're reaching every single member of your community with an online training and education program, for example, is every person in your community going to be able to see themselves in the content of your programs? And so representation, diversity is really important, having various identities, um, being able to ensure that you know, you're giving campus-specific information when you're buying programs off the shelf. They've got to be able to sort of have the look and feel of your institution. But then importantly to that sort of learning styles, and when you're reaching everyone in your community, you're going to reach people that have a number of different styles and strengths as it relates to how they receive information. And some of the benefits of reaching people in an online space is you can build in 
sort of adaptive personalized moments and you know scenarios where you can give tailored and targeted feedback so i think you know just considering good learning pedagogy is really important and the last thing on design that i'll say is accessibility is just paramount making sure that everyone can have an equitable experience with the technology and that starts to get into some realms of trade-offs where you know the more engaging the virtual platform is the harder and the more expensive it is to ensure that all learners can fully participate in that engaging platform. And you've got to think about even things like color palettes and languages and alt text for images. So that's the design piece. And then I'll, I'll go a little bit into administration and data. Just administration, you've got to have integration with your portals, with your learning management systems, and you've got this ability through technology to track participation, to ensure that you're meeting compliance requirements, not just by sending a brochure of your policy, but tracking e-signatures that people have read and understand it. That can create accountability in the system. And timing is so important. And when I say timing, there's the amount of time of someone sitting in a seat and looking at a screen, and that's important. And you want to make sure you're kind of chunking that up and reasonable bites of information and that, you know, someone can log back into a program and pick up where they left off. That's really important. But timing is also really interesting as it relates to risk periods. So one of the things as we think about virtual orientation programs is you've got this new cohort of students. We know the matriculation timeline is a high risk period for sexual violence, for high risk drinking, Technology gives you the ability to reach students pre-matriculation. And then when you've got those students on campus, you then don't have to guess about what their needs and strengths are. You can integrate data to these pre-matriculation programs that will allow you to then meet them exactly where they are, which is where we're going to have the most ability to make change. So those are some of the universals that we think a lot about around building really engaging and impactful virtual training experiences. And I think the data is really what starts to connect the dots into all of the rest of your strategy. Well, I'm thinking about folks who maybe are doing their own online modules, but I think that's even beyond the capacity for a lot of us, right? So whether we're just doing a three minute video, how do you think about the design and the accessibility and engagement uh, and representation and the chunking down, uh, even if you're just doing a short video or a right. 20 minute video or a, or a 50 minute video, uh, so many good things that um, can be applicable. And really what's just um, standing out for me is just the intentionality that I think sometimes we get so caught up in content and you're really pointing us to content is important, but then it's the how and the pedagogy and how we're getting at it and really being thoughtful. And you're just bringing in so many things to be thoughtful. You're sharing some oh, of the Keith, things. That I mean, yeah, I, just quickly on that. I feel like if you're not thinking intentionally beyond just, I need to have someone, something that checks a box and can reach everybody at scale and has content that I agree with, if you're not thinking about design, you're not thinking about data, you're not maximizing whatever that investment is, the investment you're making in sort of build it your own programs, investments you're making externally. So you really have to think big picture because it, it is meaningful investment. And to make the most of it really requires you to think about all of the streams of value that that technology can add. Yeah. I think you're whole... Go ahead, Alyssa. Our whole training theme this summer for our orientation leaders was connection before content. And I can't take credit for that. We uh, we borrowed that from a consultant we work with, but 
truly focusing on on how do we make connection rather than just poor content virtually because that wouldn't increase student learning and you know we definitely think it would decrease it mm-hmm. well let's give I'm chad Littlefield, the consultant the consultant you work with let's give chad a shout out for uh connection over content but i also your example of the pre-matriculation i think that's a real asset to the virtual engagement right we used to be able to say we got to talk about all these things in in the first five days they're on campus yeah. which is overwhelming but mm-hmm. And, and they, they stopped showing up already, right? Uh, we know that they, maybe we'll show up to more of that in those first five days, but then after that, your the level of participation goes down. Whereas pre-matriculation, they'll watch just about anything you send them because they're so curious, they're anxious, they want to know what this is about. So what are the things that we want to talk about right away when they're there on campus? What are the things we want to do in summer? What are the things we want to do right. in between? What are the things we want to do even before? And I think it really opens up a lot of possibilities where we don't have to wait until they're in the ballroom okay. and the dean is on the stage. Um, Rob, you, you mentioned a lot of what you've learned from a, a broad spectrum of time of 20 years. What are you mm. all at EverFi, what has shifted and changed it in the past year? You've been doing online, you've been doing these modules. What has shifted in your approach and what you're hearing from students and the efficacy this past year? Well, I mean, thinking about the past year, I have to just start tipping my hat to my campus-based counterparts and that, uh, you know, words like agility and speed and innovation, you know, those aren't usually words that we use when talking about higher education, but I think it's absolutely defining of, of what we've done in the past year and just extraordinary work, especially coming out of student affairs. Uh, but one of the things I think we learned with, and, and apologies, Alyssa, with that pivot to the virtual environment is um, you know, we were able to move quickly to that space and, and that was very effective, but we learned that we largely didn't meet students' expectations around the quality of that experience. And so you see on the academic affairs side of the house, a lot of leveling up of the quality standards for the virtual academic experience. And I think that we, you know, owe it to our work to think about how we level up the quality standards of the virtual student experience outside the classroom. So I think that so much of what makes college durable isn't just the technical skills people get in the academic curriculum. It's the fact that we are truly shaping the quality of students' characters. And that's where we've had the most learning over the past year, because you think about, you know, last February, um, just all of last year, defined by Black Lives Matter. Prior to that, it was hashtag me too. We are dealing with a socially conscious, activism-oriented generation of students. In fact, we learned recently from a survey of about 5,000 graduating high school seniors that safety, well-being, and inclusion were as important to them as academic rigor when they were deciding where they wanted to go to college. And so that's just a mind-blowing perspective about the, the value and the purpose of higher education. And I saw this great article in the fall in money.com of all places, and it was about college and the Black Lives Matter movement. And it told the story of this prospective student, Mariama Lemon, and she was looking around you know, months before at the cost of college, the academics, the extracurricular offerings. But as she really started to narrow her search down, her deciding question was, what will my experience be on campus as a Black woman? And what the article really pointed out was, we're not making it easy on students to see the commitment we have to the values that they care about. 
And so at EverFi, we've worked a lot in the past year to look at existing literature about principles of effective social impact initiatives that tend to take place in the in-person environment. We started to try to say, how does that translate virtually? What does theory-based and comprehensive and uh, varied teaching methods and well-trained staff, these principles that we know drive good public health work, how do you measure that in the virtual space? Because to do that and to level up those quality standards allows us to tell the story of our work more effectively. And I know we'll, we'll talk more about this in later questions, I'm sure. But I think we need to, in the space that we're in and the environment of higher education writ large, expand the, the focus of who we are and what we do in student affairs to the impact that we're having across the life cycle of students, the alignment to not just the mission of our institutions, but the business of our institutions. Yeah. And so that's where we've focused a lot in the last year is students have changed. How do we pivot this work and use technology to show up bigger and more prevalent in ways that we know they're holding us accountable to? I love these three things that are really guiding students' uh, choice about where they're going to go is safety, well-being, and inclusion. And you're reminding me a lesson that I am constantly encouraging leaders. It's not just that you have to address these things, and certainly we're not always addressing these things effectively, but sometimes we are, and we're not being explicit about it. So it's like, we're not, how are we telling students and making it known and make it easy and being explicit about all these initiatives and efforts? And your comment about pivoting is reminding me of a previous podcast, uh, Lolo Hong, who is the uh, senior person for the Cal State system, talking about we pivoted, we did it, we did it quickly, and we pivoted. That doesn't mean we pivoted well. And I think today's mm. episode really is we we made the shift to, to virtual. What would it look like if we did that really well? Now that we've had the benefit of lessons learned. David, uh, at, at South Florida, you all started thinking about this before anyone else I know. You were sort of like, I don't know if you were could see the future or you're just warriors and plan for the worst, but you started planning to shift to virtual engagement before anybody I know. Um, would love to hear how you hit the ground running, the lessons learned, and I know you've also, um, I, I love your, your team's ability there to give it your best learn what works and what doesn't work and make quick adjustments going forward. So tell us about what happened there and really the, the lessons you want to share with others. Right. Yeah. So um, usually in February for us and a lot of other curricular institutions, you know, we are um, now starting to pivot and focus on summer and focus on the following academic year. And with that looming pandemic in place, um, you know, we, we found ourselves in that space of, okay, now we have to pivot into virtual engagement. And I think, you know, um, to start that initial impetus to like building, you know, everything that we did was how do we start with the end in mind? So like, how could we still create these learning centered environments um, when we could no longer, you know, meet in person with students? And most importantly, how could we still fulfill our educational priority or that main promise that we have to our residents? So in that one week, uh, so like March 1st or whatever that was, um, you know, we quickly digitized our entire residential curriculum and we built it on the learning management system or the software here at USF, which is Canvas. And we named that course Bulls in the Cloud. Um, and we thought it was a genius idea because we were like, all right, they already have to log into Canvas every day. So why not just like insert ourselves right there? Mm -hmm. um, and the initial focus of that or thought process was, all right, like let's develop active and passive content and kind of mimic like what you would uh, experience like a, a video game streamer. So like we're all 
if we all can't go to like, you know, um, the lounge, let's all go into Bulls in the Cod and be there at the same time. And <laughs> that was, you know, that was great because we initially thought it's going to allow folks to meet and honor the need for human connection um, and still stay connected. And um, from March to the end of the academic year, we hosted faculty-led, you know, initiatives. We had our final reviews. Um, we created modules and, and spaces for our living learning community partners to exist in. We co-hosted, um, you know, events with our counseling department and our wellness unit. And um, we were constantly updating the information about our COVID, you know, policies and the academic calendar and best tips for how, you know, our residents could, you know, best shift to this e-learning space. So we were trying to be, you know, that main resource for them. And over the course of those two months, we had a lot of, um, you know, hits with that, um, but just hits, right? Um, and then I think the momentum and the uncertainty definitely carried us into the summer. And at that point, we started to explore Microsoft Teams. That was the product that our institu institution was using. Um, and we then had a small population on campus. So then we decided to really look to see how are our intentional conversations and how are these community gatherings or roommate agreements or all these other educational um, strategies really going to work in that space. And by the time July came around, I think if there was one thing, the first big nugget that we learned was we were doing too much and we needed to do less. Um, that digital fatigue was real, not only for our residents, but it was real for our, it was, you know, um, for our for our faculty, our staff, um, yeah. and our students. And we were exhausted before we even had our biggest, you know, test yet, which was fall opening. Um, so to really learn on, you know, those moments, um, we needed to be extremely intentional about what we were asking each one of our staff members to do while still, you know, trying to um, solidify or figure out what those most impactful um, things were. And with that, we doubled down on our residential curriculum. We looked to see um, what was on our educational plan, what was, you know, the life cycle of the student, you know, kind of as Rob was mentioning earlier, and what mm -hmm. were the things that we really needed to focus on. Um, so we continued mm -hmm. to track uh, staff engagement as well as, you know, um, resident engagement um, in terms of what was working well and what wasn't. And I think the next big piece of learning that we saw was instead of Bulls in the Cloud being this synchronous place for folks to go to, it needed to be more of like a resource hub. So what's like an airport terminal where folks can just go to it and get the information that they need um, to be successful. So we, you know, we felt like by consolidating all that information in one place for our residents, it was going to be one of the best uses of our time and to really protect, you know, um, the capacity of our staff. Um, so I think those were some of the big moments there, just in terms of like that, that thing that we had created. Uh, and then the other pieces that we needed to be mindful of was, all right, the content that we were still creating, how are we making sure that that was timely, relevant, and engaging? Um, you know, so um, just how we wouldn't want to show up to an event on campus and just be talked at, um, how are we getting our facilitate, how are we getting our presenters to understand you know, how am I facilitating something rather than just like presenting it? You know, how am I understanding mm -hmm. my audience, um, ensuring that the content was relevant and timely? And we really looked to social media to try to get people to understand of the, understand themselves more so as like social media influencers rather than just like presenting knowledge. So I think that was another huge shift um, in learning that we had. Um, as I mentioned before, scaling back on all the, the synchronous events and only focusing or only preserving that time or that space for the initiatives that had huge impact. So like some of our social justice initiatives or some of the events around um, the election that we just, you know, uh, we just mm -hmm. had or 
um, you know, the faculty led uh, subject matter, subject matter expert, um, you know, panels where we knew residents really engaged with that. And, you know, it was important for, you know, folks major career exploration and different things like that. So we preserved that space for them. Um, and still also, you know, thought about, all right, so we have the digital fatigue that's happening, but now we're having, you know, screen fatigue. And I think that's when we really saw that in October. So um, also knowing that the concept of Bulls in the Cloud was this resource hub, we recorded everything. We were posting things on our YouTube pages, but then we were also like, well, why not create a podcast? Why not, you know, put this- We're big fans of this idea. Right. We're big fans of this idea. <laughs> We're big fans of the podcast, right? So we put that there because then we started to engage folks in a different sensory modality. Um, and while we might not have seen all of like the, the tremendous success around that right now, there is still a steady listenership um, mm -hmm. to our podcast, Bulls in the Cloud. Go follow it, like it, subscribe. Um, but we're, you know, we're excited to, you know, um, present that content in a different space for folks who might just be walking across campus or they're in the wreck and they, they could just be listening to it. Um, yeah. And I think the other two big moments of learning um, were around data and then accessibility, you know, so we had to reimagine assessment for our educational strategies to collect real time data on experiences, wants and goals for our students. So our team really um, has collected and synthesized the information to share with campus partners and create virtual programming that is relevant, like I mentioned earlier, um, and that aligns with our learning goals. Um, and it's helpful because there's little scholarship right now around um, how to operate in a pandemic. So I think we're <laughs> truly, you know, just trying to embody what it means to be a scholar. Learning as we go. Learning as we go. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, the last part on accessibility, um, you know, and as Rob mentioned earlier, um, making sure that we're reimagining the space to ensure that students have access and feel represented in the space. Um, you know, one of the things that we're really trying to explore as our COVID-19 uh, task force at the university will allow us um, is different grab and go options for, you know, for programming. Um, you know, not everyone has access to the certain uh, pieces of technology. Um, and then our real talks, you know, so um, that was a social justice in initiative that we continued on um, and making sure that we move those on online because they were identity spaces that folks could go to to uh, to unpack what was happening for them and what it meant for them to be a student of X identity um, and to really align them with certain faculty or different resources on campus to, to help in that. Um, so those are some of the moments that, yeah. are, those are some of the moments of learning that we've had um, here at USF since February of 2020. <laughs> well, and so much of what you're sharing is really reinforcing some of the things that, that Rob said about design, intentionality, and accessibility and assessment. But I love about how student-centered your team is. Students are already in Canvas, so let's go there. They're starting mm -hmm. to use Teams, let's go there. They, they want to be able to move around and work out and be on the treadmill or go for a walk, so let's go to a podcast. And really continuing to um, not think how do we want to teach this, but how are students best going to learn it? And let's go do that with them. So kudos to your team and thank you for all those lessons learned. Alyssa, you were jumped in right away, shifting with a summer orientation and a fall welcome week and ongoing engagement virtually. What did you learn from this quick shift, right? You didn't have a chance to wait until the fall and see how things played out. Uh, what did you learn from the quick shift that you're really applying as you move into this summer and into the fall? Yeah, I, one of the interesting things for us is that when we started to really figure out what are we going to do, nothing was out there yet. 
no one else had really started to figure out what it was going to look like. So I think now we can go and find all these Facebook groups and all these webinars and how do we engage um, even what we're doing today that did not exist. And so that was really the first time I think in a lot of our careers that we said, we don't, we don't even know what resource to use. We got to go back to knowing our students and knowing what we need them to learn. That was really kind of scary had. and also kind of freeing, right? Cause when you're yeah. making it up, you can break all the rules. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I really, David hit on essentialism and that yeah. was really important to us not having them on campus for, you know, a full day. We couldn't spend eight hours in zoom with them. And so truly saying, we know there's a lot we want students to learn, but what, what do we really think is the most important for them to have before they get here in the fall? And for us, it, it really was how identifying connections to invest in. That was the biggest thing and to really start to lay the groundwork for um, stewarding communities of belonging. And that was really all we were able to do, but it was still a lot. And so really having to focus on what's the most important learning we also changed our risk level in North Dakota about three weeks before Welcome Week. Uh, so we were all set to go. Mm. We could be in groups of, I want to say 250 at that point, still in August. And then uh, that completely changed. And so we had about three weeks. And it was really cool to watch how curriculum really centered us. Um, obviously, there was a little bit of panic in our hearts and in our souls, but we knew where to go. And that was, what do they need to learn? And what strategies support that really, really well. Our guiding star. Exactly. <laughs> that ed priority you were talking about. And then those learning goals just made it so much easier and made it feasible to say, we can do this. Uh, it never really was in our heads that we could stop doing it. We just had to figure out what the strategies were to right. make that work. What's the way? Yep. Exactly. Uh, as I was reflecting, a lot of the things that we did felt like I was just listing them out. But really, they fell under two main lessons for me. And the first was that we don't have to be experts in technology to do it well. It's really fun to have Rob here. There are places out there that are so good at this that I didn't have to feel like I had to know every platform and how to do it. Uh, and I know there's privilege in being able to hire consultants and work with companies, and that's not something that every institution could do. But we were able to leverage the fact that we weren't paying for $50,000 of meals that summer. They weren't coming to campus. And so how could we use that to to use expertise, but also to create something that would be sustainable after COVID. So one of the things that we did um, in working with Chad Littlefields, um, We and Me Incorporated, he helped us create a really engaging um, online hour where students were just focusing on making connections through really cool connection cards, through breakout rooms, through activities. And as we started talking, we said, we're going to use this forever. As students that live more than 500 miles away, we have a lot of students in the military. We have students um, maybe that truly just can't make it to campus because they're working full time and saying, we can offer these sessions at night. We can offer a few of these sessions. So, so that students who traditionally we've just said, well, you can take an online course. Now we have this really engaging opportunity where they get to make connections. And so being able to utilize the resources we had to turn it into a sustainable initiative that we'll be able to keep um, was great. Uh, also, I found out my students are experts. And, and I had to turn to them as a learner and they were, and they were the ones teaching. And that was really awesome. We too did a podcast, uh, but I can't really say we, I told my students, I said, can you, can you make a podcast? Can you figure this out? And my intern looked it all up, did all the editing. They made all the intros, uh, wrote all their own questions. And we have a first year series, like transitional podcast 
that they did. I did nothing other than say, please do this. And I think empowering our students to work with the technology that we're excited about because they're awesome at it. So that uh, not really only cool. did you not have to do it, but those incoming students will listen to returning students way more than they'll listen to you or me or to any of us, right? They have that credibility of their peers. Absolutely. Mm, I like that a lot, Keith. Um, you know, as you think about, you know, something like bystander intervention, for example, having it be modeled by your juniors and seniors is the, right. really the way that you're going to get your first year students to feel like, okay, well, I don't have a lot of social capital in this environment, especially now in this virtual space where connections harder, but, oh, it's, it's appropriate. It's acceptable. It's expected for people to step in and take action consistent with their values. I think that curricular ongoing approach is really, really powerful. Well, and it establishes the culture. This is how we do things here. And incoming students mm. have no idea. They have no idea what college is. They have no idea what NDSU is. And so when returning students say, this is how we do things here, uh, you can really move the needle there. Alyssa, anything else you want to add before we open it up? Yeah, the other piece that we learned was that it helped us increase uh, in vulnerability and engagement through some of the technology. We started using Menti, which is an amazing platform if you've never heard of Menti. And that's how we did our belonging sessions and teaching them um, that they're responsible for stewarding belonging and how we define it. Uh, Menti allows you to project it on the screen, but then students can follow along and interact on their phone. They can heart things. They can submit questions. They can... Um, we asked, how does being authentic on this campus make you feel? And they got to choose the emoji. And in real time, we could see the emojis. Um, and as we've all talked about data and assessment, it was really awesome to then have this an, an, anonymous, ugh, anonymous, we'll just go with anonymous platform where they could respond. And we can export all that data on our entire incoming class to say, yeah. hmm, they feel really excited about being authentic or that makes them really nervous. And mm. the same thing with our trainings. We were able to bring in, uh, high school counselors and actual incoming students and high school teachers to tell our orientation leaders at what students were feeling and what their experiences were. And we had never even thought about doing that uh, when really we always had access to do a panel like that. It just our brains weren't there in being able to do it. And so looking at where the engagement was really, really awesome and saying, we're just going to keep doing this because it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. Awesome. Uh, I, go ahead, David. No, just something recently that's happened. So the students here have created a USF confessions confessions page on Instagram. So now a lot of a lot of administrators are following it because, of course, they had some things to say about some of the residence halls and staff and COVID nineteen policies. But um, now it's on our radar, and we're being mindful of what they're sharing. And you know, because it's just like real data and you know assessment yeah. right there for us, and we're um, actually having conversations that. Um, higher up leadership level. I, I love that you're thinking about Instagram stories as assessment data, right? And, and how can we use it to inform? There's no pretest, post test, there's no regression analysis, but it's mm -hmm. data nevertheless. It's students telling us what they're worried about, what they're concerned about. Yeah. We are running out of time, so I want to get a real quick little snippet from each of you on this question. I, I hear from some folks who say, you know, I just can't wait to get back to in-person. I, I hate Zoom. I hate being on screens. I just can't go back to doing everything the way we used to do it. Um, that seems short-sighted to me. What, what would you say to someone who said, you know, we had to do this. I didn't like it. I just want to go back to the way I did things for the previous 10 years. Uh, Rob, any, any nudge you would give to some of those folks who can't wait to go back to normal, quote-unquote normal? Well, I mean, let's, let's define normal and call it what it was, which was a decade of declining enrollment, 
questions of value and relevance, rising costs, increased competition, changing demographics, an enrollment cliff on the horizon. So clearly the way things were wasn't a good fit for the My students job. that could be. <laughs> right. And, and I, I think, you know, David, when you talked about being, you know, uh, being responsive to students' needs, having them drive, like we have to be more customer focused. And the future of higher ed is only going to be increasingly virtual for two reasons. One, students want hyper-personalized content. They want mm -hmm. touch of a button convenience. And institutions of higher ed need a new model for increasing revenue and driving down costs. And so we have to be thinking about how can we make technology a better, more leveraged component to strengthen our existing efforts? Because, you know, I talked to a vice president for student affairs, one of the top schools in Princeton Review's rankings around mental health. And he said, you know, we made that ranking list because we spent a million dollars on hiring counselors. But that's not going to solve the mental health crisis on campus when students really want to be talking to each other and getting resources from each other. So how can we meet students where they are, empower them through technology to support each other, and then really just drive results beyond knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors. You, know, you talked about Lolo Hong from your last episode, Keith, and one of the things I took away from that episode was that you know, we can't keep thinking about student affairs as sort of second fiddle to the academic mission of higher education. You know, when students go through these programs, they feel more valued. They feel like mm -hmm. they belong. They're happier to be on campus. They even feel like they're going to perform better in the classroom, complete their degree, be more qualified for future jobs. That's the way that we have to be thinking about all of our work. And I don't think it's a either or technology or in person. It's got to be a yes and because the future is only going to be more virtual. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the trick is where can virtual be better and where do we really need to do mm. person and finding the right mm. fit, I think is so important. Yeah. David, and Alyssa, you want to add to this? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about virtual engagement, but I think first it has to go back to the individual, right. And the department and the culture, right. Because I understand that it's complex and layered and, you know, I think if we ask ourselves the question, okay, so is the old way of doing things, is it out of convenience for me or is it around mm -hmm. the efficacy for what's actually happening for the student mm -hmm. experience and for the best thing of our institution? You know, so I think we have to really wrestle with that before we, um, before we, you know, have this notion of, yes, we just have to go back. Because I think mm -hmm. during this crisis, you know, we've identified new needs. And I think it's really important to be mindful of all the insight that we have, you know, gotten from, experiencing COVID and how are we, you know, going to take some of the best nuggets of that or sift through it and figure out how, you know, we can continue to move forward because COVID is always going to be a thing, mm -hmm. but there's just going to be, you know, new levels of engagement around that. And um, I think we're still just waiting to see, um, you know, just that, that, that shift back over. So that, that hourglass back over into so, whatever our new normal is. So Rob telling us that going back to normal, normal wasn't good. <laughs> David's saying get student-centered, get student-centered, get student-centered. Alyssa, what do you really want to nudge us toward? Uh, the director of our counseling center, when COVID really came to light last March, sent an email to all of us staff that said, you're more resilient than you think you are. Uh, and I think that's true for all SA pros out there. We are resilient. And uh, I think we've shown that. And so why would we just erase the past year of growth and things that have gone well? Uh, I also think if we are really committed to inclusive excellence, we have to acknowledge that in-person doesn't work for everybody. Um, and I don't think that online works for everybody either. But what you were talking about in that hybrid, we have a lot of populations that we just said, 
if it doesn't work, I hope you can catch up. And I think that's affected our melt. I think that's affected mm. student success. Yeah. I mean, I think that's affected belonging. And if, you know, if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that students desperately desire connection. And, and we have a lot of strategies and resources to do that. And why would we do less when we can embrace like this new platform of technology to incorporate strategies? Well, and technology allows us to, for us to do less and meet more students in a better way, right? Like that's the secret sauce. Where do we, where do we scale this? Where do we have it happen? Right. So that then we do have the capacity when this student needs to be seen in person because they have a very significant dire issue. Mm-hmm. We have the capacity because we're not dealing with 365 minor roommate conflicts. We're dealing with this one that's really bad and need, needs that. So, uh, and, and I think you're pointing um, at NDSU that you centered everything around connection and belonging. And that's more important than ever before and also learning, right? And for folks who have a curricular approach, the learning, whatever learning goals and outcomes you had, whether it was identity or self-awareness or multiculturalism or equity or well-being, all of that is more important now than it was a year ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah. so the, the learning is more important. How do we be most effective at reaching so many different people? Um, we are out of time, so uh, we like to end, though, with this final question. We call this podcast Student Affairs Now. So yeah. love to just hear from each of you, and maybe Rob, we'll start with you, uh, David, and then Alyssa, but what are you thinking about now? So that might just be like now in your career, in your profession, mm. or just at the end of the podcast, like what's really catching you at this moment? I, you know, I'm, I'm resonating a lot with connection before content, so I'm going to try to make this mm. connection of you know, the primary reason students continue to go to college is to get a good job. And so how can in this environment where we've now got more technology tools than ever to reach students at scale, to track the way they're engaging with us and to collect data, we should be thinking about curricularizing all of those outside the classroom experiences and even credentialing those experiences and thinking through how student affairs is giving people the non-cognitive soft skills that are actually 21st century workforce readiness skills. That's what's on my mind a lot right now is, you know, a student might not think that a diversity, equity, and inclusion course is for them. Um, but when you talk about how these are the skills that your future employer is going to need you to have if you want to advance and fit in that workplace culture. That's the WIFM for those students. And I think we've got to be just leveling up the value of the things that we're doing outside the classroom because it is absolutely shaping the life course trajectory of our students. Awesome. Love, Amen. The, whiff, love the WIFMs. What's in it for me? Yes. <laughs> um, What's think- on your mind now, David? Yeah, uh, I think for me, just given the time of the year in higher ed, uh, recruitment is on my mind. Um, Whether folks are looking for new opportunities who are already in the field or they're entering into the field from grad school, there are more people than jobs right now, (laughs) you know, Um, and there's also a lot of folks who are leaving. And, you know, we're over here talking about the uphill battle of what does this new space look like for us and how are we continuing to, you know, to foster uh, connections um, and just like how technology is going to continue to evolve the field. Um, I want great people still here and uh, the fatigue is real for folks, um, whether it's the digital fatigue or just the exhaustion of, um, you know, dealing with the health pandemic and the racial pandemic that is happening. Um, And I think there's a lot of trauma out there right now. And I, I want folks to be well, I want folks to do what's best for them. But um, yeah, just recruitment in general is on my mind. Um, Like I said, the innovation innovation fatigue and how we continue to, um, to grapple with that. 
Um, and then also the last thing, um, traditions. There's a lot of, you know, lost moments that our students are not having on campus. You know, students will never truly understand what it means to live in Betty Castor Hall or Coastal Hall here at USF. And um, what is going to be some of the long-term impacts of that um, are some things that we're trying to focus on right now, because um, right now we're, we'll have about two or three cohorts on campus who don't, who they don't know what it means to truly just be a student, you know, on any of our campuses, you know, so we have to figure out how we um, replicate some of that or, or share the narrative. And yeah, so those mm. are some things that have been on my mind recently. Well, David, I have to just say, when you talk about tradition, though, there is a great quote from Michael Sorrell, the president of Paul Quinn College, and he said, you know, we as administrators, we have to be less in love with tradition and more in love with our students. So I resonate mm -hmm. a ton with that. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. And I was going to emphasize, you talked about the struggles people are having with trauma and burnout and compassion fatigue. Two of our most popular episodes in, in all of the podcasts have been two episodes on exact those topics. People are mm -hmm. struggling with that, looking for ways to think about it, frame it, do better. Alyssa, what's really uh, with you right now? Yeah, so many things, but I'm really thinking about sequencing and scaffolding our learning as we talked about when students come in and then what do they need to know before they even get here and just encouraging you if, if you are in residence life and you don't have a good partnership with orientation or if you're in orientation and you don't have a good partnership with student activities, I can see where this time feels super overwhelming, but this is the time to say, not just what do they learn with you and what do they learn over here with us, but how do how do we seamlessly do this and how do we collaborate? And, and we're currently working on um, online orientation with Advantage Design, so we get another piece um, in that puzzle of how we sequence the learning from the moment that students say like, yeah, I wanna go to NDSU um, and to build connection. And we've just talked a lot about how do we capitalize this time of, we're gonna have a lot more time in the summer than we normally do as orientation professionals. And so instead of just being frustrated, taking all that time and saying, let's build, because normally we would never have a year off from in-person work. And, mm -hmm. and that allows us to change and adapt um, and justify changes because we have time um, to do it and, and to make those really strong changes. So excited yeah. about the possibilities there. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. I really appreciate your insights and your guidance, your experiences, sharing your successes and sharing the bumps in the road and the lessons learned is really, really helpful. Uh, thanks for being great guests and helping us all be more thoughtful about how we're going to virtually engage students going forward. To our listeners, you can receive reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Student Affairs Now newsletter or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. I think we gave a shout out to three or four previous episodes. Thanks to our sponsors today, Leadership and Anthology, formerly Campus Labs. Please subscribe to the podcast, invite others to subscribe, subscribe to the USF podcast as well, share on social or leave a five-star review. It really helps conversations like this reach folks and build a big, broad community so we can continue to make this and other conversations like it free to you. Again, I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. 